Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So we've been making comments for 5 years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan... Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. What the hell happened in Alberta last week? NDP government for the first time ever, and a PC, a progressive conservative party that had ruled for almost 44 years, kicked the heck out of office. And a leader from another party, that is Danielle Smith from the Wild Rose Party, took a bunch of her people, went to the PCs, and they all got squashed in the election. We've got to talk about this, and we've invited a couple of people here to give us a crash course on last week's historic Alberta election. So, Andre, what do we call him this one? Alberta. What the hell? Come on, you can do better than that. Let me try this one. Uh, Big Dippers in Lil' Berta. Yo, man, that's terrible. (laughs) Let's just start the show. I'm Desmond Cole. I'm Andre Demise. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode is brought to you by House of Anansi Press, publishers of Spin, How Politics Has Turned Marketing on Its Head by Clive Veroni. So last week I vowed to you that I was going to read this book, and I did. I actually read the first chapter, and I learned a couple of things. One, chewing gum is made of latex. I had no idea. I thought chewing gum was like some stuff that came from a tree, and that no, that's it's not actually that. Second thing, marketers don't necessarily have the best impact when they try to appeal to a broad base of consumers. As a matter of fact, they've learned from politicians who appealed to a very small but passionate support base 
that can then influence the rest of the market. And it's important for us to understand how that works. I'll let the author Clive Veroni give you a bit more on that. Marketers and political strategists spend a great deal of time, money, and effort trying to influence our behavior and our attitudes as voters and consumers. And I think the more each of us understands about the techniques that are used to do that, the more deliberate and thoughtful we can be as citizens. To buy Spin or to read more about it, go to houseofanancy.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's get right into it. So we have totally maxed out the tech limits of the Canada Land Studio here. We've got two people on the line. First is Melanie Thomas. She teaches poli-sci at the University of Calgary. Somehow she ended up on this show. <laughs> okay, Melanie, we were we were checking out your RateMyTeacher.com reviews online. One person said, you need a thick skin to be in her class. So are you going to take it easy on us here? Are we going to be all right? So to qualify on that, I teach research methods, which I think is the most difficult class at every university in any program for students to wrap their heads around. And so it's really much more the material that I end up getting assigned to teach than me myself. So I'm sure we'll be fine. Okay. So it's not just you being a hard ass. Well, I mean, I am a hard ass, but I'm a kind hard ass while I'm at it. (laughs) All right. So Desmond will be handling your questions. We also have here Drew Brown, coming to us from Edmonton. Drew is a writer and political theory PhD student. He recently wrote an article for Vice that they called A Guide to the Perplexed, which could be an alternate title for this show. Hi, Drew. Hey, what's up? Now, Drew, you're from Newfoundland, right? (laughs) Yes, that is correct. And why are we listening to a Newfie tell us about Alberta politics? (laughs) Well, I mean, we could also ask why are we listening to two guys from Toronto talk about Alberta politics? Ah, true. Yeah, I mean, fair question. Um, it's funny, you know, they always told me that if I stayed in school that I wouldn't end up working in Alberta, and yet here I am working at school in Alberta. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I've always had a longstanding interest in Canadian politics anyway. I've been writing for uh, papers back home about provincial and, and federal issues, and it just so happens that I came to Alberta at what turned out to be a very exciting time in Alberta political history. So the first question I got to ask, because I'm pretty sure a lot of us are wondering this, how is it that a party that was in power for almost a half century, how, how did it lose steam and get dumped so quickly? 44 years is a really long time, I mean, for any government to be in power. Um, and in order to sort of maintain that without you know, in a democratic system without straight up becoming, you know, a literal one-party state, um, the party needs to constantly sort of reinvent itself. And they've sort of been missing that that magic touch and have been sort of progressively been seen as more out of touch and more like um, as if they actually were this oligarchic um, setup that they have always been accused of being. 
And in 2012, I think they were ready to give him the boot. The problem is just that the main alternative, the Wild Rose Party, uh, the, you know, the closer look that they took at this party, the less comfortable they were electing them as an alternative to government. Just a quick question. What was wrong with the Wild Rose Party? The, the Wild Rose Party is sort of an extremely right-wing party by Canadian standards, you know, and especially, I think, in the last few days of the campaign, everything sort of started to come apart. They sort of unearthed these, you know, like old blog posts and old statements from people. You had one guy writing about how, like, all gays are destined for the lake of fire because God has decreed that it's sinful and horrible. And then you had another guy that said something that could be like vaguely construed as racist. I don't really remember the specifics of this, but I remember that sort of. It was a white privilege guy. So for me, I call it he's white privilege guy. He was running in Calgary and he was running against a uh, person of color. Uh, And he had said, well, this person can only represent people from his community, but because I'm white, I can represent everyone. And then he doubled down on it when he was called out on it because he totally did not understand (laughs) what was problematic with that. And I think the key with those is that Danielle Smith as leader sanctioned neither of those candidates. And then she turned around and said, uh, I think that climate change might not exist. So the Wild Rose gave voters three really good reasons to walk away from them towards the end of the 2012 campaign. So progressive conservative leader Jim Prentice, he did an interesting thing. He called the election in 2015 a year before he really needed to. And he did that uh, by bringing in a budget saying, here's our budget for Alberta. Let's have an election and see what the people think about it. How did people respond to Prentice calling the election early? Melanie, we'll go to you first on this. And how did they respond to his budget? So in order to understand how Albertans responded to things that happened in March, you have to go back to December. In December, the Wild Rose floor crossing was orchestrated. So this is when leader of the official opposition, Danielle Smith, crosses over to the Progressive Conservative Party. From the Wild Rose Party, right? From the Wild Rose, right? So this is, and it was organized like a corporate takeover. So all of the discussions were held closed doors, and then it was presented with two bright smiling faces at a news conference. And I think Albertans were like, "Hey, wait a minute!" And so, this sorry, is just, the sorry thing. to interrupt, but was it just the yeah. uh, the party leader, or how did that work? It was Danielle Smith as party leader and as leader of the official opposition, and she took I think nine of her caucus with her. So when Albertans were presented with that, we were like, "Hold on, that's some." Um, something we've not seen before. Then we have this budget consultation where the premier tells Albertans to look in the mirror, i.e. it's not my fault, Jim Prentice says, that we're in trouble because I wasn't here. Uh, but you guys kept electing us. So you guys need to look in the mirror, Albertans, and you know stop asking for public services because we have no money. Just by way of history, Alberta has had a pretty substantial infrastructure debt since the Klein era that Governments have simply just kept kicking down the road. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to mm-hmm. jump in here really quickly, but um, you're, you're talking about infrastructure mm-hmm. debt. But what, what what are you referring to when you talk about that? So we, I'm talking about uh, classrooms and schools that aren't big enough to handle the number of children that need to go to school. Uh, I'm talking about hospitals that don't have enough beds or staff. We've got more cars on the roads, more people in the, on the buses, in the LRT in systems in both Edmonton and Calgary. So just too many people for the existing 
space. And I mean, this has been a looming problem. We knew that this was a problem back in the early 2000s. And we've not, there's been no systematic plan to address this, right? So at that point, I always start with the assumption that people are pretty smart, and they can see through a lot of political stuff. So they see budget that's not particularly revolutionary. They see alert early election call, and they see an opposition specifically weakened by Jim Prentice's deal with Danielle Smith for the floor crossings in December. And they say, this is a power grab. This isn't about the budget. This is about the PCs call, like gaming the election date so that they can stay in power. Can you give us a little bit about Rachel Notley and the NDP? What exactly was it that they were offering voters? Because obviously for the NDP to capture this many seats, they had to have offered voters something. So what was it they offered voters and why did it work? I mean, I think I think fundamentally the NDP, Rachel Notley in particular, um, I think she just sort of offered the first sort of like viable alternative government that like Alberta's seen in a long time. Like, I mean, Rachel Notley comes off as extremely competent and sensible and like she knows what she's doing. And I think the other thing is that the NDP worked really hard to sort of shed this, this, I think, largely undeserved image they have as this sort of like radical left-wing party because they're, I mean, they're not a radical left-wing party. It's not like we just elected Hugo Chavez. Like she's not going to expropriate the oil sands or do anything radical, right? Well, didn't we have a, a bunch of business owners get together and, and basically tell Albertans like, you're you're stupid if you don't vote for the PC party? I mean, there were five uh corporate leaders, I think it's really important to stress the difference between a small business owner that owns a mom and pop shop or something along these lines and a corporate owner. Uh, and there, so there were three corporate owners that or five rather corporate owners that uh, held a press conference in Edmonton saying that the NDP would be bad for the province. And then also rather plaintively suggested that uh, it wasn't fair to ask corporations to pay their fair share because, quote, why is it always us? And it, like, it's just, it was so tone deaf. It was a complete misread of where the the public actually was. It completely denies the idea that Alberta is a populist place. And I, I almost hate to do this to you, but what does that mean? So populism is the idea that the grassroots ought to be empowered. So, so this is why you have this kind of weird thing in Alberta where you can see some people saying, uh, I can't decide between the NDP and the Wild Rose, but I'm going to vote for one of them. And if you just look at ideology, people would be like, hey, wait, that makes no sense. But if you think about it in terms of populism, uh, the idea of the I want the grassroots empowered. I want the regular person empowered. And I want the big elites to be disempowered a little bit. And then it makes perfect sense. The question then says, you know, if you want if you want populism, the question is, which strain do you want? The one that leans left or the one that leans right? Drew, you kind of talked before about this notion of an overreaction to an NDP government being brought in in Alberta. We've got a clip from a woman named Paula Simons, who's at the Edmonton Journal. She was talking on CBC recently about this idea of who exactly supported the NDP. And I want you to give a listen to what she had to say and react to it. Here's Paula Simons. I mean, what's important to remember is that this is not Thomas Mulcair's NDP. This is Rachel Notley's NDP. And she got a lot of support from people who work in the oil and gas sector, you know, unionized workers in particular. So it's not as though an NDP government under Rachel Notley can afford to shut down the oil sands and turn off the pipelines. What she might be able to do is to help Alberta get some social license to develop its resources. I mean, I think that no elected premier ever now or in 
the future in Alberta is ever going to like deliberately go in and shut down any oil producing capacities or any of the oil stands work or anything of that nature. Like that's just not going to happen. It's the economic engine of the province for better or for worse. That's just how it is. Or maybe to put it in vice.com terms, you're never going to see BC try to shut down the marijuana industry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Like it's just, it's not going to happen. So Drew, tell me this because a lot of NDPers across the country seemed really, really excited by this victory in Alberta saying that this was a big victory for progressive politics in this country. But it almost sounds to me like you're saying this is more about needing change in Alberta and that the party that took power is really kind of playing more to its own regional interests than being this new left-wing kind of wave in the in the province. Is that so? I mean, like, I don't want to understate sort of the psychological impact of, you know, the NDP winning in Alberta. I mean, that, that that is huge. The sort of feeling is like if they can win in Alberta, then like realistically they can win anywhere. But at the same time, I think it's it's worth not overstating the impact of that either. I mean, like this doesn't mean that, you know, like Alberta suddenly become, you know, like the new People's Republic of Alberta stin or whatever Peter McKay <laughs> called it the other day. Yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, I was on the U of A campus this week and like to hear people talk, you'd think we were in St. Petersburg after the fall of the Winter Palace, right? I was just saying that. It's almost like the, the Bolsheviks just took Petrograd this is the way these people are reacting. Yeah. I can understand that it would be really tempting to look at Alberta and look at how we voted uh, for quite some time and think that this is the conservative heartland. But But if you look at public opinion, so how people feel about issues, policy preferences, we're not socially conservative in Alberta. An overwhelming majority of Albertans are like rabidly pro-choice, like really strongly pro-choice. Really? Totally. Because the thing is, I've never been out to Alberta myself, and I totally thought that if I was to go there, the first thing I would see is just like cowboy hats and truck nuts. I mean, you might see that. There there is a, I mean, I I am in the rural bits and people do like their pickups and doing really silly things to them. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, Alberta's pro-choice, we're not especially religious. Like the Bible Belt, it's not here. It's out in Atlantic Canada. It ain't in Alberta. Uh, and so if you think think about it in terms of like secularism, social conservatism, stuff like this, Alberta looks very much like a lot of other places in Canada. Okay, one, one thing that I noticed, um, which kind of surprised me, was that uh, Prentice and his party lost – and that same night, before he'd even had a chance to think about what comes next, he's like, yeah, you know what, guys? Peace out. I'll see you later. He had just won his seat, uh, what was mm-hmm. it, like a year prior? And he resigned not only as the leader of the party, but he resigned from his seat. He resigned his seats before they even finished counting the votes, which is interesting. The reports coming out from from their Calgary headquarters was that it was like a funeral. You know, I mean, people joke, Jim Prentice took his mirror and went home. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, it, it came across to me like Jim Prentice was saying to Albertans, fuck all y'all. Yeah, no, I, I mean, totally. Like, dude came across like like the sorest loser in the history of Canadian politics. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, they hadn't even can't finished counting the votes. And he's like, ah, well, I lost. So, like, fuck this, I guess. Like, I mean, forget about job as the party leader. Like, he's elected as an MLA to represent people's interests. And I guess clearly he didn't give a shit. Drew, something really unprecedented has happened with the NDP caucus. That is the members of the uh, NDP's government which is that they are almost 50% women. Can you talk about the significance of that and how that looks with compared to the rest of the country? I mean, 
I think. I mean, I think true, it's really true, significant. True. I'm just going to stop you, okay? Yeah. I, I just happened to notice that Desmond asked the guy in this conversation. I mean, there's only one woman in this conversation. Yeah. And he asked, he asked you. <laughs> okay, Seriously, so I'm going yeah. to shut you up for a second. No problem, please. <laughs> okay, so... Um, Welcome to Canada land, everyone. <laughs> I just got schooled. <laughs> Melanie, would you mind... <laughs> Offering your take. Right. I, I, I had to admit my first thought was the, but I'm the gender and politics scholar. What? <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. The NDP has had a nomination policy on its books since 1984 that says that they are to run a candidate slate that is 50% men and 50% women. Uh, and that they are supposed to run more women in seats where, they're, where they stand a good chance of winning. The Alberta NDP did it. And they won. And so for me, this says that if parties want to run a, a slate that's got a lot of women on it, they can do it. They just have to make a point of recruiting the women to do that. And that's what the Alberta NDP did. And guess what? Voters in Canada don't discriminate uh, against women at the ballot box. We can find no evidence for this. So voters in Canada will vote for women for elected positions. And they do <laughs> in large numbers. Melanie, let me let me ask you a follow-up now that I have egg all over my face, which is that uh, <laughs> although almost 50% of the NDP caucus are women, there is only about 30% of the entire legislature that's women. So uh, I guess I have some egg on my face here, but don't the other parties really look bad? The fact that they were basically not able to elect any women and that they're dragging down that percentage badly of women who were elected in this uh, historic event. Here's the thing. What is it? We have 87 uh, seats in the Alberta legislature, which means that you basically, basically need to find just over 40 qualified women across the province. So the idea that there aren't 40 qualified women who would make good elected representatives in Alberta is just ludicrous. So the issue is not that the women aren't there. The issue is that political parties actually have to go out and find them and convince them to run. Absolutely. Which the NDP did. I'm going to ask you guys one question. And, and Drew, I'll, I'll put this one over to you. What is one takeaway that you'll have from this election? What is one thing that you're going to remember? Um, I mean, other than the experience of like physically being in a packed bar full of people when they announced that the NDP won a majority, like which was like, holy shit. Yeah, I mean, I think the main takeaway is that governments just can't get complacent. You can't run a province like a business. People in Alberta want a government where it seems like regular people actually have like an input in how the province runs. And Melanie, what about you? What's the big story, memory, takeaway that you have from this election? I mean, for me, actually, the biggest takeaway thing would just be that Rachel Notley sparkled. It was incredible. It was really lovely to see a campaign that was run that competently and to see a leader that just rose to the occasion and um, exceeded expectations. It's the sort of thing that actually inspires hope, which sounds a bit hokey, but <laughs> I have to admit, looking at how that went, it's just kind of like, ah, like I have a new appreciation for how people felt when Barack Obama got elected, because it actually is the, I can have a bit of hope about how politics are going to go down here now, because, because Rachel Notley, it's, it's kind of nice. All right. So we heard what Drew and Melanie had to say about the Alberta election. Andre, I was listening to what you had to say. You know, I'm from Red Deer, Alberta, like born in Red Deer. So I don't know, these stereotypes that you had about our people, I'm not sure where that was coming from. Man. I was just addressing some misconceptions that people might have about what Alberta is or isn't. That's why oh, I was so you were playing me. dumb. I just knew what I've been told on television, which is that Alberta is a very socially conservative place. Its politics are beholden to big business and its people are okay with that. 
Something that really, really stood out for me in this conversation was the whole piece about Danielle Smith crossing the floor and taking a whole bunch of Wild Rose people with her, basically after being like, you know what? We can't beat this government, and that's why we were elected, so we might as well join them. That just shocked the shit out of me, man. Womp, womp. Didn't work out too well for her, did it? No, because neither she nor any of the MLAs that did that actually got reelected this time. They were all either defeated in nominations or on election night. Yeah, so I guess that goes to show, you know, if you can't beat them, well, figure out another way to beat them. Don't join them because you might get turfed. Turfed hard, man. I almost feel like we could do an entire episode on crossing. You know, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. We should actually do an episode on crossing the floor. We should do an episode on crossing the floor, Andre. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I just think that this is really interesting because for whatever anyone has to say about the NDP, and there has been a lot of fear-mongering, particularly among business types, about what this means now for the province. Hey, 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 hang on. I'm a business type myself, all right? Not all of us are bad people. Not all of us think that the country's going to come crashing down around our knees. Hashtag not all business people. Hashtag yes, all men. (laughs) Mr. Calls on the dude in the conversation. All right, I'm, you're not going to let me live that down. No, eh? I'm never going to let you live this one down. That was actually that was like classic Desmond. Oh, oh look at me, Mister Social Justice out here, lady <laughs> in the conversation, incredibly knowledgeable, knows more than like all of us put together. Let me just call in the other guy. Um, what I'm trying to say here is that not all of us business people think that this country is going to be like brought to a flaming, crashing end because the NDP got elected in Alberta. I think. I think having a higher corporate tax to be able to subsidize, you know, new families who have just moved into the province to improve infrastructure, to that's not a bad thing because you want your employees to be happy. I, I think that this is an opportunity for change. Absolutely. Another cool thing about this election, some of the young people who have been elected, the fact that an openly gay man, a 21-year-old openly gay man, Michael Connolly, was elected. And again, watching some of the coverage, watching some of the fallout of this election, something I keep hearing is, oh, you know, but they're going to have a really inexperienced caucus. They're going to have a really inexperienced group of MLAs. Many of them are very young. Well, There are no young people in general represented in our politics. There are no students represented, almost none, in our politics. And so on the one hand, particularly with young people, we're like, oh, you know, they don't get involved. They're not civically engaged. Then when they whoop everybody's ass and win an election, we start asking if they're qualified and ready to do do it. So, well, what about the people that they actually beat? Were they qualified? Obviously, they weren't qualified enough because they got beat. And actually, that um, that brings me to uh, another candidate. I, I'm sorry if I mispronounced this last name here, but I, I've only seen it in print. Her name is Deborah Drever. Um, she's another young person that was um, elected as an Alberta MLA. Uh, and so some of the opposition went through her Twitter and Facebook profiles and they found some compromising pictures. Like she had taken a picture next to a T-shirt that had like a big marijuana leaf on it. Dear God. I know. And another one, I think she was giving the middle finger to the Canadian flag. I didn't see this. I only read about it. But apparently like, so it's now touched off this firestorm because she's just not mature enough to handle the job. Hey, look, she beat an incumbent. She beat an entrenched incumbent and managed to convince her voters that hey, she's the incumbent? most- what's an incumbent? Just tell people. Huh? What's an incumbent? Uh, the incumbent is the person who already had the seat before she did, right? So she she unseated an incumbent, uh, managed to get herself into that seat based on her policies. And I also kind of want to party with her. I find that pretty cool too. <laughs> I think that is awesome. I want more of that in our politics, not less. I think what this speaks to, Andre, because you talk about Deborah Drever having to go door to door and earn that vote, earn those um, oh, the, the support from her community. 
I wonder if this speaks a little bit to that divide between the person, the individual who's running for office and the party that they're actually representing. Some people would say, well, no one really cared about Deborah Drever. They just kind of wanted an NDP candidate and she was the NDP candidate on the ballot. So does she really get the credit or does this just signal that people wanted change and she was the change represented by the NDP? Why can't it be a combination of both? It's not like she just sat inside of her uh, campaign office, didn't talk to a single person, didn't make a single phone call and let all the volunteers do the work. She had to be out there doing the work too. I don't think that it's necessarily your business background or how highly educated you are or how long you've you know had a job in the private sector. A lot of it has to do with do the people in my constituency feel safe with me as their MP? Do they feel comfortable having a conversation with me? Do I do I make them feel like they're a part of this process? And she was obviously able to do that better than her opponents were. So another really interesting thing about this election was actually the debate. And I know that when people really like to follow politics, they like to watch these debates. It's kind of like a sporting event for people. But you know... Uh, the media talk about, is there going to be a knockout punch in this debate? And there basically is never a really interesting or kind of pivotal moment in any of these debates. But this time, I feel like there was one in the Alberta election debate. The knockout punch was actually Jim Prentice knocking, knocking himself, himself the out. hell out. It was great. The way Let, I, let's play the clip first. Let's play the clip first okay, so people can okay. hear what happened. Here is Jim Prentice, who is trying to criticize uh, Rachel Notley of the NDP uh, and say that her policy on corporate taxes was bad. And listen to what he does. A 20% corporate income tax, which would give us a higher corporate tax rate than BC what or are you Ontario talking about? Our, or Our Quebec. proposed corporate tax how rate is 12%. I'm not how, sure who's you briefing you, but I, I just do need to clarify that 10% that's to 12%. absolutely incorrect. I know that, I know that math 20%. is difficult. But oh, no. no, you did oh, not. Oh, no, you did not. If you ever needed a better example of male privilege, you could not find, you could scour the entire internet. You could like go into YouTube video archives. You would never find a better example of male privilege in your life. So after Jim Prent is messing up his own numbers, because you heard him, he said that the NDP were trying to bring in a 20% corporate tax, which they were not. He might have meant to say that they were going to increase, increase the corporate tax by 20%, 20%, but he didn't say that. Rachel Notley corrected him, and then he comes in with this math is hard difficult. Well, well I know math might be hard for your fragile feminine brain and stuff, but listen to how the guy is going to tell you the way that works. Like, come on, dude, that was... That was the absolute worst moment I think I've ever seen in a debate in, in, in Canadian politics. Except that it was followed up on election night by Rachel Notley after she got the majority victory. And she obviously didn't forget, neither did her speechwriters, about that moment in the debate. <laughs> and let's see how Rachel Notley brought that back in to get a little sweet revenge on Jim Prentice. And, and you know, I'd like, I'd like to just say one thing about our candidates and our elected MLAs. I haven't done the math yet. Buddy, if this was like a reggae bashment in somebody's basement, every hand would be slamming against the wall right now. The furnace would be like shut off. The party would be done, locked off. Everybody have to go. You don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. You know what I mean? That's so hard. That's how it's done. That is how you clap back on somebody, bro. So I think Jim Prentice, maybe that was the reason why he resigned. Now we all understand. He just couldn't take that diss. <laughs> <laughs> <So> the <climb laughs> he knew was it was real. coming. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a wrap for our second show. But that's not the end. We actually want you to weigh in. 
Last week, we said the episode was just the start of the conversation, and that was a tremendous understatement. And we absolutely love that. So keep doing that, guys. Keep pushing us these ideas because we pick that up every single week and we drop that into future episodes. So let's pick it up again this week on Twitter. My handle is at Andre Demise, A N D R A Y. D-O-M-I-S-E. Or you can hit me up at Desmond Cole. We also have a new Canada Land Commons account on Twitter. Hit us up by searching for Canada Land Commons. It'll be the first thing you see. You can drop us an email at commons, C-O-M-M-O-N-S, at canadalandshow.com. This week's show was produced by Andrew Norton with a big assist from Katie Jensen. And Jesse Brown, well, he's just the voice in our head that we try to ignore. CanadaLandShow.com is the new Canada Land Network website. Please check it out. You can support this show and our other podcasts at Patreon.com slash CanadaLand. And you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, you got to rep us. Tell a friend, give us a review, show us some love with those five stars. The next episode of Canada Land is up on Monday, and we'll be back with a new episode on Tuesday. to Mr. Harper? Uh, well, I'm going to have to disappoint him. I'm, I'm better than the person he thinks I am. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to CanadaLand.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.